Hello everyone, this is Tommy Shakur Ross, one of the producers on Uncuffed. I'm coming to you with this short and urgent message. We really need your help. When I was incarcerated at San Quentin, I learned how to make radio and podcasts from the Uncuffed Training Program, which is funded by the California Arts Council. But we just got word that they're suddenly canceling funding offers, which means that starting September 1st, we've lost all our funding for the programs at Solano and San Quentin that bring you uncuffed. We know that we'll find a way to make it through. We always do, but we need financial support to continue our training and make episodes like this one. Please take a second to go online to weareuncuffed.org to make a tax-deductible donation. A huge thank you to everyone who has given to the program already, and thanks to all of you for listening and for being a part of the Uncuffed family. K-A-L-W What's up, everyone? This is Edmund coming from the San Quentin side of Uncuffed. I'm so excited to be here. I got the guys, I got the fellas with me. How y'all feeling today? Doing great. Good, man. Awesome. Good. Beautiful day. Go ahead and check in. Greg checking in. All is well, bro. Ty, what's up with you? Man, I'm feeling blessed. Feeling very blessed. I'm very excited to show y'all this story we got booming today. Yeah, Shakur here. Uh, I'm feeling playful and childlike. For sure, for sure. I'm so glad to be here. We we have a piece from our, the one and only Tan Tran. That is I. So so tell me, tell me about about the piece that we're about to listen to. Yeah, so this piece we're about to listen to, it's about this guy that we all know and love here at San Quentin. His name is Gary Cooper. He's a 73-year-old Vietnam veteran, amazing human being. And I'm just excited to be able to highlight his story and his plight and what he's struggling through right now. And y'all know, man, y'all know Cooper. Greg, I see you smiling. Like, as soon as we say Cooper's name, smiles pop up. The jokester of the decade. (laughs) Right? Like, immediately a smile pops up on your face when you think of Cooper. And he's just one of the brightest spirits you'll ever meet. Like, he has the oddest, funniest humor. Like, I love Cooper. And it's the thing that's bananas about Cooper as you'll soon find out, is that, you know, he's really suffering from a lot of sicknesses. However, he does not for a second let that stop him from bringing joy and smiles to this world. He's always joking about his condition. Sometimes it feels uncomfortable because he's (laughs) making jokes about him dying. I'm like, ah! You don't want to laugh. Yeah, it's (laughs) like, like, this is heck of funny, but it's like, do I laugh? Does it make me a bad person that this is a good joke? So that's Cooper for y'all. Like, matter of fact, I remember seeing him in the hospital a little while back, and I was like, what's going on, Mr. Cooper? He's like, hey, man, how you doing, man? I'm just hanging on in there. Uh, you know, I got these um, I got these sores that's popping up on my body. I don't know what's going on. And I said, are you in the hospital to check on it? He said, oh, no, I don't have, he said, I got, other, I got about 34, 40 other issues to, to work on before I get to that. That's nothing. That ain't going to kill me yet. So yeah. I got, I, it, it got to get in line. Yeah. And, and at first, I'm like, I said, man, that's crazy. It's it's funny, but it's it's super sad to yeah, see this yeah. dude going through all that. And I'm like, man. Yeah. yeah. But he takes it with, with humor, you know? That's yeah. that's the big yeah. thing. That's 
that's the thing that I really respect and appreciate. So every time you would see Cooper, it's important that we also note that he is with somebody. And that somebody is what, Shakur? An IDAP worker. What's an IDAP worker? An IDAP worker. Okay, IDAP worker uh, stands for Inmate Disability Assistant Program. And an, an IDAP worker basically takes a person who has a, a disability uh, throughout the prison. It can be, he can take him to get his canteen. He can take him to pick up packages. He can uh, push him in his wheelchair to doctor's appointments and even bring him down to the yard. Absolutely. Yeah, that's for people who've always wondered, like, how do elderly people who are infirm in prison, how are they taken care of? It's thanks to these IDAP workers, which are now known as ADA workers, which stands for American Disability Act. They are the ones that take care of these incarcerated people. Yeah, and they also, they walk around with these, like, gold or orange, not, not orange, I'm sorry, gold or yellow coats. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes they are referred to as gold coats or yellow coats. Mm-hmm. And it has IDAP worker on the back, and now ADA worker. Factual. Uh, right now I'm facing uh, neuropathy, uh, heart problems, uh, glaucoma. I'm anemic now, leukemia. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know if you're aware of it, Wiz, but I've been fighting leukemia for two years now. Like I told the doctor, I got room for a few more things if you need them. Well, my white blood cells way down, you know, count. Uh, The bummer about it is the medicine was working, but it's put me in the hospital three times, you know, and three times serious, you know. Yeah, I wasn't aware of the fact that you were fighting leukemia, and um, that's all the more, you know, saddening to me. Just out of curiosity, about how many meds do you take all together? Like, how many do you think you take? I showed you uh, about 15 uh, pills or more a day, you know, all suppositories. Yeah. <laughs> I've been an ADA worker here at San Quentin for the last three years, a little over three years. As an ADA worker, my primary job is would be to take disabled people who are confined to a wheelchair to and from their various appointments, such as medical appointments. We'll take them to education. We'll take them to their groups. We'll go pick up their packages for them, take them over to the showers, feeding, self-feeding, and helping them move into cells and, you know, cleaner cells. In some instances, we've even been, you know, um, directed to clean poop, which we do. You know, the list goes on. Um, Just whatever a person basically can't do for themselves, we're there and we're happy to do it. I have a hard time picking up to put my pants on, you know, but uh, I'm not going to give up, you know, if I have to lay down to do it. I was doing fine before the COVID, you recall that. As soon as I got the COVID, uh, we had no mobility especially when it first happened, we all stayed in the cell all the time. You know, the IDEP worker uh, was there on call all the time, you know, and they didn't have much, uh, in fact, you guys didn't have hardly any movement for yourselves either. Uh, but there's so much improvement they could do for all of us, especially those elderly. 
yeah, I do have my doubts and my concerns as to whether or not you would make it because these strands that are coming out are beginning to get more and more contagious and more and more deadly. Today now, it's kind of sad to me, honestly, to see that your health is debilitating here in um, San Quentin. I feel like people like you that serve their time that, you know, in my view, can no longer pose a real risk of danger to public safety should be given consideration as far as being released. But love you because you don't give up. You know, you refuse to give up, man. And that's just, that should be inspiration for anybody. Thankfully, there's a lot of people like you who make the job rewarding, you know, that appreciate us, that understands that um, this is a service and that we're trying to give back and that we're trying to become better people. And, you know, you just help us to become a better person. Uh, yeah, the, uh, like I, I tried compassionate release, but they said uh, the type of cancer I have, uh, you could live for a long time. Then I think, well, that's pretty good because... All the cancer meds I used almost killed me, you know. So uh, I, I, I just tried for compassion release again. I don't know what's going to happen, you know. Uh, but I'll live with whatever it is. Uh, I only have five minutes of oxygen left. So uh, if I pass out, turn it on for me. No, uh, no, I. I uh, <laughs> You know, I just love messing with everybody, especially all the IDAP workers I screw with, you know. And it, if people are laughing, they can't be sad. So we're back. Thank you so much, uh, Tom. That's a good story, man. Um, I know, I know you've known Coop for a long time. I've probably known him for the last couple months. And every time I say hi to him, I like I get the same person day in, day out. He's always smiling. He's always with somebody. Sometimes it's just a friend pushing him around. Um, but just just hearing what it was like for him before the pandemic. He was mobile. He was on the yard, walking, interacting with people. Then, of course, the pandemic hit. Mm. And it forced him to stay in his cell. And this is when he started to fall apart. Mm. And I know, like, you're a couple cells down for him. Like, what, what was that like for you? To see somebody that you knew for the longest time just essentially fall apart in front of you it was bananas for real like i would literally always hear cooper got sent to the hospital again on an emergency uh cooper got sent again to the hospital in an emergency i'm talking about there was five times seriously five times where we were not sure we would ever see cooper again right and and there was like a morning on our tier like when cooper is gone there is like the sunshine has been taken away it's like a gloomy atmosphere on our side of the tier and everybody is like everybody's asking each other hey do you, do y'all know if cooper's gonna make it back mm-hmm. i don't know we don't we don't know he's gonna make it back man i hope he makes it back hey anybody heard about cooper yet anybody heard about cooper and this is it'd be we'd be on pins and needles as we wait the week or two weeks 
And all of a sudden, you just hear the tear, like, in raucous joy and laughter. Hey, and you Coop. hear Coop walking down the tear. Yeah. <laughs> hey, are you asking? miss me or what <laughs> oh my god and we're so like hilarious. getting ready to be in tears we thought you were gonna die coop and the first thing he do is call us a bunch of ass <laughs> you know we love coop we man. love coop man and yeah so it it kills me it kills me to constantly and like continually even as from when we recorded the story to now he's been hop- hospitalized at least two times and he's He's melting away in front of me, and it's bananas. I, sure. I really don't know how to describe the feeling besides, like, a sense of, like, helplessness and almost like a despair because, like, I'm I'm praying that he doesn't die in prison. Mm-hmm. Greg, tell me what most resonated with you. Yeah. First of all, Tom, great Great story, bro. I think the world needs a few more Coopers, a few more uh, people with personalities that can that can lift people up out of dark spaces. And it's a scary feeling, you know, as somebody that's serving a life sentence in prison. It's like I came to jail when I was 20 years old. Like, am I like am I going to be a Cooper? Mm. Am I going to be somebody that's sitting inside a prison in my 70s? Wow. With failing health, you know. So so he's actually. Uh, He's a reality. He's a reality check. Like I was sentenced to life in prison, and that that could mean my very last breath could be in this place. Mm. And Lord forbid that it happens, but it just that just really makes me just uh, that resonates with me, and also just the human kindness that you see from these ADA workers like Wiz his care, uh, um, Cooper's caretaker, because these dudes go far and beyond what their job entails. I mean, these dudes go inside of people's cells and they change their sheets. They clean and scrub their toilets. Mm. They wash walls. They help these dudes shower, get in, in and out of the shower. And so the level of compassion is so great that it's mind-blowing. Mm. But it's beautiful to see that here we are, two convicted felons inside a prison, one black and one white, and yet they're helping each other out. Mm. Wiz is helping him out, mm. and Cooper is helping him out by giving him inspiration, by giving him hope, mm. and knowing that regardless of what happens, still got to fight, you still got to live, you still got to smile. That's my take on it, man. Greg, I just want to say this, man. Like, when you said you could be a Cooper, that really, it sent chills down my spine, man. Like, because how scary that is. Because I really want to highlight the fact, like, what is it, 50 years to life you got? Like, 65 years. I'm just shaking my head, like, it was that that was a little too it was a little too real man that was that was realer than most people would know that's bananas man um Shakur I just want to ask you like you know I'm sure you heard about other people on the yard there's so many Coopers around people might think that this is an anomaly but there's so many 
aging and dying people in prison. Like people dying from cancer is a regular thing. Like, Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, first of all, yeah, I want to give you a shout out for that story, you know, for, for providing that window uh, for the listeners to, to, to view into. Uh, first of all, I want to say, even though he tries to deflect mm. his pain and suffering with his humor, like, this is a sad story for me. Like, mm. when I listen to the story and, and I hear you guys talk, like, I'm in a really somber mood. Mm. And, uh, and not only that, you know, because I'm experiencing something personal right now. You know, I experienced, I, I lost uh, my son's mother. She passed away two weeks ago. And uh, she died from cancer. Mm. So as to hear that. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So as we go through this, as this story, I'm also reflecting on, like, you know, my own experience with somebody who, uh, you know, went through cancer. But, yeah, I see, I see it pretty much all the time, you know, uh, older guys, like, like being taken care of by the IDAP workers, right? So it's, it's a shout-out to them guys, you know, because it takes mm-hmm. a degree of compassion. It takes, you know, wanting to be of service. So, so anybody can't just get that job. Anybody can't just, you know, say, I want to be an IDAP worker. And it's also like they have to go to classification and be interviewed and get cleared to get that job. Mm. Yeah, that brings up for me, too. Um, I've talked to a few uh, ADA workers now, IDAP workers, also known as ADA workers. Um, it's a hard job. Like, beyond the actual physical labor that you do, like, I, like one ADA worker told me about how many people he's wheeled to the hospital and never got to wheel back. Wow. Man. Right? Like, you witness the constant death in prison yeah. on a regular basis. And they tell me, like, these ADA workers are superhumans to me, man. Like, they tell me about yeah. the compassion and about how that drives them to, like, try to give them the best care possible because they they don't want them to be that next guy they will to the hospital and yeah. can't will back. Right. You know? So it's just really powerful stuff. Yeah, you know, Tan, I, it adds just just to add a little bit to that. Um, I remember I remember talking to one of the ADA workers like a little like years ago, and they were talking about um, helping one of the guys. I can't remember who it was he was helping, but he was helping a guy, and and I remember he made a comment about um, I think one of the nurses were coming over there to come get the guy, and he was like. And he insisted on taking him over there to the hospital himself. And I remember him clearly saying that, I got you. Like, you're my responsibility. You're not their responsibility. Like, basically saying, like, like it's us taking care of us. Even though you have a medical system, a, mm-hmm. a system in place here. But he was so adamant about being the one to take care of his his uh, his patient mm-hmm. that he called. Right. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so I, that just really just shows... The uh, camaraderie between the, the the person that need that's needing assistant and the sister, you know, it just shows that like how we come together, like to help each other, man. I just want to highlight yeah. that. And that's just just beautiful to see. So I just want to. This is Edmund. I want to respond to everything that Greg just said. I've been down twelve years. And it's crazy to have a life sentence because 
you are always looking at older men that you're incarcerated with and thinking that it's going to be me one day. I just want to respond briefly to what I'm hearing, right? Because I can relate to both what you and Greg said when it comes to being a lifer. Like I, I had a sentence, or I have a sentence of 71 years to life. And I came in when I was 19. And I'm, what, 56 now. So I never thought that I have an opportunity to get out of prison. But there's a chance that I can get out of prison by the end of this month. So I, so I say that to say that, like, there's always some degree of hope. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, as long as you continue to do what you do and stay focused, you never know what, what the future brings and what the future holds. So I just wanted to say to both you and Greg, you know, even though we, we have these sentences, things change. For sure. No. You know, I didn't expect, like, they have all these different new laws to come into effect, right? SB. Uh, 261, which was a youth offender bill. And that's one of the reasons why I went to the board sooner. But I also did all the time that was required of me, like in, in my sentence as well. So, but there's hope. For sure, man. I appreciate you saying that. Another thing that I want to highlight out of the piece is Wiz and Coop talked about compassionate release. Yeah. Um, threat to public safety. I really don't know the ins and outs of how one applies for compassionate release, what the process looks like, but I do know COOP is the epitome of a person that you should look at for compassionate release. So I'm going to toss this over to Tan to speak a little more about the process of compassionate release? Yeah, so the compassionate release process is so confusing and convoluted, and it's always changing and evolving. A lot of people ask, all right, like, who is granting this compassionate release or who is denying this compassionate release? Is it the governor? Is it the head of the Department of Corrections here in California? Like, who is it exactly, right? So it's a many-step process. First, your doctor, his own personal care uh, taker, um, has to file for it and put him up for it and say, you know what, this person is going to be is going to die within a year. I recommend him for compassion release. Then they have to get a second opinion from an outside hospital. And then the outside person has to confirm that and say, you know what, this person has a year less to live. In Cooper's case, they said, you know what, he might have. 18 months, so he don't fall within the 12-year uh, mark. Let's deny him. Wow. It's crazy. that arbitrary. If they feel like you got 13 months left to live, you don't meet the mark. It's, it's literally that simple to get denied. And after, say, on a miracle chance, because very, very few people ever get compassion release. Like, I can't even think of a single person that got it, right? Yeah. Um, after, say, some miracle happens, your doctor puts you up, your outside doctor confirms it, then it goes up to another level of scrutiny all the way up to the head of Sacramento. They have a department in Sacramento that deals with compassionate releases. And then these people, then they have to determine, well, is this person a threat to society? 
Is he safe enough to return? And if he does return, like what medical facility is he going to be at? Right. And it's super complicated. It's super confusing. And there's like so much more steps in between and so many gatekeepers that I can't even explain it fully well. But that's that's just a glimpse into how difficult it is to get a compassion release in California. Yeah, this is Greg again. Um, yeah, time to to chime in on you, which you just said, bro. You know, it's interesting because I've only, in the 28 years of my incarceration, I've only known one person to actually be given a compassionate release. Mm. And this was a dude I knew years ago, and he was actually diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Mm. And as you know, that's a real debilitating um, disease. And he actually left prison. They let him out of prison only to go to a hospice hospital. Mm. And when you talk about, like, in order to get a compassionate release, you literally have to be on your deathbed. Like, wow. like, like we're not gonna, they're not gonna let you out just to be able to live your life. Mm-hmm. They're gonna just let you out just to die in the free world, basically. And you know, back to back to the point we we're making about um, how much time is enough time, and you know, to be sentenced to to these life sentences. And I know, Edmund, I hear what you're saying about you know about that um, about seeing people around you. You know, that was one that was one way I used to gauge like my like my hope was in like other people, mm. you know, to see somebody in prison like 30 years. I hear somebody say, man, I've been in prison like 30 plus years. Like I'm like, man, here I am, 2022, early on in my sentence. I'm like, man, this is this is forever, you know, to come to prison and to hear somebody call you, hey, what's up, youngster? And now, 28 years later, they like, hey, what's, what's up, OG? What's up, OG? It's like, <laughs> damn, OG? Yeah. <laughs> like, damn, I, like, I used to be a youngster, man. Like, yeah, yeah. like what happened? And so... That gray on your lips. Was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I come in, man, my gold teeth is barely connecting. And now I can grow a the full beard. Mm-hmm. Well, at first I was growing a full black beard. Now I can grow a full salt and pepper beard. <laughs> so, so, man, I know, you know, I know he's... It, I love the fact that we can laugh about it, yeah. but you know that's the part of that hope is knowing that I'm not going to even speak mm. twenty forty seven into existence. Right. I'm thinking I'm going to be going home like soon. I, I truly believe that you know there are a lot of like Shakur was saying there are a lot of things that have changed in the system, and just like Shakur had a Buck Rogers far away date, now look at him right. getting ready to go home, yeah. and even though my Board date is 2047 or elderly parole in 2033 when I turn 60. I'm not going to see 60 inside of prison. That's right. That's for sure. Hope is what gets us up in the morning. Sure. And if you see anything in Coop, he has a lot of hope. Mm, exactly. And that's why he keeps on pushing. That's that fight. So just being a lifer, Coop does give me a lot of hope. Yeah, this is Greg again and Edmund. Um, you know, I hear you talk about hope. You know, it's a um, you say Cooper gives you hope, and it's interesting to when you when you serve in a life sentence. You know, we we definitely need people around us to give us hope because sometimes it's kind of hard to 
to just grasp it and get it from ourselves. So we need people around that can inspire us. And Cooper is inspiring. He's definitely hopeful. I mean, the man is is suffering and yet he's still maintains a personality. You know, he's still laughing and joking and has a sense of humor, albeit as dark and diabolical as his sense of humor may be, but it's still, <laughs> but it's still, it, it's, it gets him through. And, and right. not only does his sense of humor seem to get him through, his sense of humor seems to get everybody around him through. Like nobody mm-hmm. feels sorry for Coop because he doesn't feel sorry for himself. Yeah. And that's, that's amazing. That's yeah. That wow. is amazing, bro, to see that. You know? Yeah. Man, humor is for real medicine in here. And like you said, in regards to like prison is the darkest place I've ever been in, in my life. Next to juvenile hall, of course. But there there's so much suffering in here that to be able to laugh is like a superpower. Like I have suffered a lot in my life and the way I cope with that is by laughing just to see Cooper. He's like the epitome of that. Like he just smiles, laughs and he moves forward. So just thinking about Cooper reminds me of this old cat that, um, that I knew years ago in prison and he would always run around the yard. Right. Mm. And he would always run and he would always scream out and he would say, fight, fight, fight. Right. And I used Mm. to be like, damn, what is he, why is he yelling out fight? And so one day I asked him, I said, Hey, OG, I said, when I see you walk running around the yard, like, why do you always scream out fight? And he was like, because I'm fighting for my life, man. I'm fighting for for freedom. Like I'm fighting to never give up. And that's the take that I get when I think about Cooper is never giving up. That's what that's what it looks like. It looks like Cooper to always continue to fight no matter what. Uncuffed crew at San Quentin Prison is Tommy Shakur Ross, Edmund Richardson, Tyne Tran, and me, Greg Eskridge. Thanks to the team at KALW Public Radio, Nina Gensler-Debs, Angela Johnston, Sonia Paul, James Rollins, Andrew Stelzer, Ben Trefney, Eli Workchapter, and our sound designer, Eric Maserati E. Abercrombie. Our theme music is by David Jossie, the sweetest phenom. And thanks to the staff at San Quentin Prison who make this possible. Mr. Skyler Brown, Ms. Madeline Tinney, and Lieutenant Sam Robertson who approved this episode. We fact-checked everything to the best of our ability. Uncuff gets support from the California Arts Council and the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Thanks for listening.